Someday. Yeah. Someday this will all be over. Do you mean COVID nineteen or do you mean COVIDios? No, that well then we'll be well we'll be up to COVID twenty, won't we? Oh boy! This is the nineteenth coronavirus. Yeah, I know. And if you add up the names of Barack Hussein Obama, it totals nineteen. Wake up, sheeple! Whoa! I thought it was called COVID nineteen because it started in twenty nineteen. That's exactly what it is. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. That's I exactly see what, what you're doing. Conspiracy theorists out there this is all a sham it, the virus isn't real it used to be that you had to go to some dank part of the internet and i mean mm. dank in the original sense not like what dank has become on the internet right uh to find the weirdest conspiracy theories that would eventually influence you to shoot up a pizza place and now it's just on main street literally Seems that way. On a, a poster board being held by someone who may or may not be a crisis actor. Right. But uh, definitely has their facts uh, all twisted up, mm-hmm. uh, which is to say no facts are present. Yeah. Yeah. I would. Uh, yes. That all that all checks out. Uh-huh. Yeah. As in not checking out at all. But yes. Correct. I got my eye on you. <laughs> the Internet's told me. Oh, boy. To watch out for you. I um. So I heard there was a protester in Arizona who was calling for other protesters to dress up as health professionals uh, just so they could make it look like health professionals wanted this pandemic to be over, too. Mm, Here's the problem. Uh, Nurses aren't that fat. They'll never pass. (laughs) It'd be like trying to get Porkins if they brought Porkins along when they went to the Death Star. All right, Porkins, slip on one of those Stormtrooper costumes. Mm -hmm. Uh, guys, right. I'm, I'm just going to stay here in the control right. room, I think. Maybe I'll order in. <laughs> yeah, nurses uh, generally, uh, not that not that big. Yeah, yeah. Also, you have to you have to do a lot to dress up as a as a nurse. You have to get an N95 mask, which you can't find anywhere. Well, they've stockpiled them. Oh, yeah, good point. And you have to get scrubs that fit, which, which is, like, I think, the main thing you were talking about. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but really crappy. Really crappy. <laughs> yeah, that's a. I'd put that a couple steps below the pizza place operation uh, for yes. for planning. But uh, yeah, you know, hey, this is the reality now. I know, right? <laughs> this is this is what it is. Yep. Yep. Everybody, save up your school shootings. someday. Oh, someday boy. you'll be back in school. Uh, <laughs> yeah, isn't that something? Let, hold like... on. This this is why I'm supposed to have the gunshot sound queued up. Whoa. Let's see. That's not it. Whoa, you're you're looking for it now. Oh, is oh it... that's a school bell. Close enough. <laughs> I got... uh, this soundboard sucks. <laughs> Isn't it something the that stripes, like though. one shooting happens in New Zealand and they're like, oh, oh, no more guns. But that'll. Is this a movie show or, or what is what is this? <laughs> what is that? Come on, we got movies to what talk about this? that glorify gun violence. So Whoa. we probably should just get to that. All right. Let's uh, get to what, it then. Like, we're talking about movies, of course, mm-hmm. for your quarantainment movies, both classic and modern. Yes. Um, and I didn't, uh, I mean, I suppose we could do it every show. We don't have a, a, a script for this show. But yeah, we're doing it because uh, the reasons is twofold. Uh, reason yes. number one, because you have a list that you have been compiling yes. over the years, which are the movies that you want to see, be it things that you missed, yep. things that you heard were good, mm-hmm. or things that you feel like you have to see 
to have a core competency yeah. in uh, cinema criticism, which I think is important. And th- number two, uh, my list is just uh, kind of whatever comes to the transom. <laughs> yes, whatever you feel like that day. It's also kind of those same things, but it's yeah. just uh, I don't have a written down list. It's just pulled more from um, that sort of virtual pile of movies on my nightstand you know that i'm right. trying to sort of get through mm-hmm. and yeah. so um that's what we're doing for that so do you yes. want to tell us uh what your pick was for today's show yeah uh my pick was the never-ending story very tempted to sing ah song, yes but... <laughs> yes of course whoa what the never-ending story english yes. english slash german production <laughs> That's not a joke. <laughs> yeah, you looked that up. That's directed so by weird. Wolfgang Peterson. What? And partially written by Wolfgang Peterson. Uh-huh. Uh, he's um, he's an interesting guy. Is he? Well, he started off with Das Boot and sort of made his bones uh, or his boots on that. I, I've heard of that, but I don't know anything about and it. And he went on to do a variety of things. I kind of think of him as the German Tony Scott. Oh, okay. Uh, with maybe a little more... Um, I don't know, a little more genre, a little more, sometimes some sci-fi. He directed uh, Enemy Mine, which um, I talked about with my co-host Gooey Fame on yes. the podcast Backtracking a little while ago. That's uh, an interesting sci-fi film. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Uh, <laughs> really big in the 90s, uh, In the Line of Fire, Outbreak. Mm, outbreak. Well, that's there you timely. Go. Yeah. Air Force One, Get Off My Plane, The Perfect Storm, Troy. And the remake of the Poseidon Adventure. I think that was pretty much it. Whoa. Well, he's eighty, so yeah. Okay. So you know, give him a break. All right. But yeah, right. I mean, it's a. He, I think that he's a real consistent guy. Uh, he also has a lot of German work too. Um, mm. That you know, I mean, we wouldn't know. But um, yeah, he's. Uh, I think he's a real consistent guy. He usually delivers a um, a solid uh, movie. You know, up to you whether or not it's up your alley or not. But it's yeah. always um, uh, pretty pretty solidly done. Mm-hmm. And I have really nothing to complain about when it comes to Wolfgang Peterson, except the existence of the never ending story. <laughs> do we do do uh, did the person who picks it? How do we uh, break this down after eight shows? Do, do, um, does the person I, who picks it has to synopsize it? I, I think, or is I, that the role of the person who has to? It's inflicted on. Whoa. <laughs> Actually, um, you know what? I'm going to do it because I want to hear you uh, recount what happens in my film. So oh, uh, the never-ending story opens. Uh, we meet Bastion. Sorry, Bastion Balthazar Bucks. No. <sighs> anyway. That's just uh, the beginning. He is uh, He's having trouble. He's a little kid. He's probably, I don't know, 10 years old. And Pops. he's uh, re- he's a dreamer. And his uh, the big thing in his life is that his mother has recently passed away, and his father, uh, Gerald McGraney, um, Simon, one of the Simons of Simon and Simon, or uh, Hurst from Deadwood, if you need that. Sure. Uh, he's like, you gotta, you gotta get things together. You gotta, you gotta get this. Uh, gotta gotta work this out. Feet on the ground. Keep your feet on the ground. Yeah. And don't be late for school. And so he runs to school. He is um, set upon by some uh, bullies. And uh, basically, he hides in a uh, bookshop and meets uh, the kind of, uh, you know, the kind of old man that you see in these things. Mm-hmm. The, the gatekeeper who tells him about this book, The Never-Ending Story, which is uh, this amazing thing that he's got to check out. He uh, lifts the book 
and runs to school. He's late for his math test, so he decides to hide in the attic of the school and read the story. And the rest of the film is essentially just us watching the action of the book, The NeverEnding Story, right. with commentary by Bastion. Yes. And then somewhere in the third act, things get a little weird. Mm-hmm. And here's how you know. Hmm. Because that little actor goes, oh, it can't be. It can't be. What the? That's that's impossible. <laughs> and that's how we know. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, fairly accurate. The never-ending story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, okay, so this came out when I was pretty young. So either it... I, I, so I, I didn't see it when it came out. Um, and I have a feeling it probably wasn't on my parents' radar because I was so young <laughs> when it did come out that uh-huh. they weren't, like, thinking, oh, maybe our kid might like this someday, you know? And I, I doubt they saw it when it came out. Um, and somehow this is lots of people my age are incredibly nostalgic about this film and think of this film very fondly. And I had always heard so much about it and could never say anything about it because I'd never seen it. And so this had been on my list for a really long time and I've always wanted to see it. And now I've seen it. Yeah. And I don't really feel like my life is any different. (laughs) I blame Stranger Things. I wanted to see this before Stranger Things. (laughs) Yeah, but this is a great example of you put the a a project that is designed to uh, exploit seventy late seventies and eighties nostalgia for um, baby boomers. Uh, yeah. Not excuse me, not baby boomer. Well, maybe baby boomers, but uh, Gen X mostly. Yeah. And their children. Uh, it's called Stranger Things, and you hire two guys who are maybe just turned thirty. Probably two guys who did not me. live through that time. Yeah. And so they just pack it solid with stuff, and sometimes it's the, they're all kids are all dressed up like the Ghostbusters with a costume budget of five thousand dollars, which is very unrealistic for uh, their little trip to school. Yeah. And then you, also you get you know a large. Uh, set piece based around the never ending story, which I know it's kind of a joke because his little girlfriend likes it and he likes it too. And his friends are going to call him gay for liking it. But right. also nobody remembers this. Nobody cares. <laughs> There's just no point. There, it doesn't. There are so many other, I feel like films. That but are... I mean, if you're going to do something where you, uh, you, you're referencing a bunch of things, mm. you're going to reference the things that you, you care about like right not, and i hate pointing to shane black for really anything but like monster squad right the kids in the monster squad they're a bunch of like homophobic like 11 year olds right? right and they like the universal monster so they're talking about werewolves yeah. they're talking about all kinds of stuff barbie's going on betsy wetsy's going on there's a lot of things that are going on that they don't talk about because they like the universal monsters because shane black likes the universal monsters right so he's writing he's he putting knows. his heart in it he you yeah. know he's writing about something he cares about whereas stranger things is like pushing four seasons and they're literally they're just running out of things to reference now so let's just do the never-ending story even if we all put our adults head adult hats on and look back we go wow what a what a freaking terrible film Okay, well, now I'll shut up, oh, wow. and you can talk about Never Ending Story for 20 minutes. Okay, well, I wanted to see it because um, it's kind of like fantasy genre, and it's like this fairy tale, you know, like with kids and stuff like that. Uh, and I thought, oh, how great. And oh, boy. And we sit, and we're oh, watching boy. it, and, you know, at the very beginning, we find out that this magical land is called Fantasia. Wow. And I was like... That blew you away. I was like... You are creating this whole new world 
why not come up with a whole new name? You know, no, no limits. You know, you're coming up with all these things. You're playing with scale a lot. Um, but they, you know, they just didn't do that. And I just felt like that was in some ways indicative of the story that we were um, about to watch because in the, you know, in, in the, in the end, it's, it's really not all that creative. I mean, it, it's basically, <laughs> it's about imagination, but see, I feel like they, they don't even totally ram that home because what is a real story? What are we supposed to, what's the message we're supposed to get for Bastion here? He's supposed to keep his feet on the ground and no, I can't have fun. I can't have an imagination. And then he reads this book that literally it becomes your story. So if anybody else reads this book, he can never return this book. If anybody else reads this book, it's not Bastion's story anymore. Right, but it could be anybody's story. I, 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 there must have been some magic in that old book that he stole from that guy. And, right? I'm just why assuming else that would if, an adult read it? But if I'm it's just, just assuming, supposed to be a little kid. But this, yeah, but okay, so like, what I want is the prequel where the old man's reading it, and he's like a James Bond figure, and he's like, you know, taking secretaries two at a time. And killing uh, uh, the, the Russian general or something like oh, that. Oh, you think it's I think just it's your different. whatever your fantasy is? Yeah, it's a never-ending story. It can oh, be whatever I for see. anybody. Okay, see, because I like because that idea. the very weak point of the book is books are great, and I love it when a movie is lecturing me to read more books. Well, and then like so at the end, it's like Fantasia's gone. But you saved the Empress somehow because you yelled out your mom's name, <laughs> uh, which was. Moonchild, I had to look up. Thank you for telling me that because um, it's uh, 30 years and I never knew because in the film it's just, you can't understand a damn thing you say. (laughs) And it's something that a lot of people looked up because it came up right away. And I think I told you this. I felt stupider having looked it up. (laughs) But I had to know. I had to know. And then I was like, well, now I kind of wish I didn't know. Isn't cancer a Moonchild? Well... Yeah. Y- yes. Cancer. Can- yeah. Okay. And my name is. <laughs> but my problem is, it's all about imagination. The power of imagination. It's just him and the Empress, Bastion and the Empress, and and she's like, you can imagine whatever you want. And so Bastion remembers everything that was in the never-ending story, and he doesn't add anything else. He freaking was drawing unicorns in his math book. Do we see a unicorn? No. He could do anything, and all he does is imagine the book exactly how it happened. And but then, well, there's got to be some element. So okay, all right. So all right, all right. All right, I'm with you on this. Okay. Okay. First of all, let me just say, f and '80s fantasy movie. There's no good fantasy movies in the '80s. Labyrinth. Well, Labyrinth, look, we already talked about Labyrinth because Labyrinth is is like, Jim Henson is always like, let's just do what nobody's ever done. So if we're going to have a Hobbit, what would you never see a Hobbit do? Take a whiz in a lake. So welcome to the fantasy world. Right. There's a Hobbit peeing in a lake. Mm -hmm. We're going on from here. Right. But a lot of, but here's the thing about Labyrinth. It's all allegorical. Now, I'm not saying every fantasy thing has to be allegorical, but when you leave the allegory path, Mm -hmm. you better have something there. Because if you don't, you've got Willow, you've got 
everybody's like, I love Willow. And the next thing is, you got Legend. I love Legend. Go back as an adult and watch yeah, these films. Right. They don't make any sense. Nope. It's a bunch of like 50 year old like dudes or more ladies trying to come up with like, oh, it's what a would goofy. A kid do? Yeah, well, a kid's, it's a goofy elf that's like dancing around or something. And it's just, none of it's connected. None of the jokes are funny. They're just dumb. And you're supposed to just be, oh, my my jaw is agape. I'm just amazed by the, the wealth of fantastical elements on display. And you're mm-hmm. not. And mm-hmm. you're just wondering when it's going to end. Mm-hmm. And Val Kilmer's the best part of it. Yeah. Take that, Tom Cruise. Um, <laughs> Top Gun 2. Uh, and so, so you've got that problem. And then in this, like, yeah, he could have opened up the book and it could have been, sure, then nothing is... A representative of, you know, existential terror of being a kid or something like that. But yeah, but none of the elements are allegorical at all. He kind of connects himself with Atreyu. Right. <laughs> Both whiny enough. Um, yeah. But, but otherwise, there is no real connection. It's just a thing for a while. It's a weird quest. And then, yeah, at the end of it, it's suddenly the, the princess looks at the camera and goes, it's right, you. And he's right, like, right, right. no, it can't be. <laughs> and then she even says Bastion, you know? Yeah, right, so yeah. it's like. Now okay. you're in this thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the, and the reality is, okay, so you're trying to connect, you know, Bastion's dreaminess and he needed to keep his feet on the ground. But also that's what adults want you to do when it's about adults grow up and lose their sense of wonder so keep your sense of wonder and your and, creativity and your creativity and also there's a lesson about well you need to you know pay your taxes and that's kind of keeping your feet on the ground but if there were any allegorical elements then the movie could return to the real world and Which yeah is, i know we get the yeah. scene where it's it's kind of funny chases the bullies down with the luck dragon right. but there could be some connection we could see gerald mcgraney again and it could be like i don't know you know well it seems like you got that math test and well an elf helped me what Oh, never mind. Like the end of, well, I'm just, here's the thing. I think we pull out at the end because the voice, Alan Oppenheimer comes in and he's like, he had a lot more adventures, but that's for another time or whatever. And we should have just pulled out and it's bashing in a straight jacket, you know, in an asylum. Whoa. (laughs) Because that's, but that's where Labyrinth goes because Labyrinth goes, she comes back home and she's like, I'm never going to see my friends again. And they're like. We'll be around if you need us. Yeah, and she's and like, I is, need you. And suddenly her room mean? is full of everybody in the thing. And you're like, is she insane? <laughs> I don't know because she's happy, you know? And it's right. like, yeah. And then the movie ends. Yeah. Yeah. And David Bowie's probably, well, he, he's the owl. He flies out. He's the owl still there at the yeah. end, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, that's a great ending. It is. But this is just like, well, you're going to have to come back and read the rest later. And the, the thing is, I looked into it. There is a sequel. Mm-hmm. The sequel came out in uh, I don't know sometime later in the eighties, or I think maybe nineteen ninety, and it's I, it has the distinction of being the first movie I fell asleep during. Whoa! But I think I like it more, even though I haven't seen it since nineteen ninety, because it's really cynical. Mm. Like there are very cynical elements in this, you know. Yeah. The, the Atreyu sees, you know, all the the sna- Well, we don't see it, but like Deep Roy and the snail die apparently, and then right, you've got right, the right. rock guy who's just like, "I'm worthless, and I'm going to die now," and he does. Yeah. And all the Fantasia's destroyed, and it's all kind of very cynical, but triumphant at, and jubilant at the end. Neverending Story Two is like really depressing. And we go back to all these characters. None of them are the same actors. In fact, John Wesley Shipp, there he is. He's right over there. Yeah. I got a standee. Yeah. Uh, plays the dad, plays the Gerald McRaney role. <laughs> and Jonathan Brandis, Sequest boy, uh, comes back as Bastion. 
but they're just it's another thing where like an evil king or something is trying to to redestroy Fantasia or something and everything fails and everything's bad I remember this one part there's these like Skeksis like creatures and um, the the movie says like they they were gonna hunt Bastion and mm-hmm. move at the speed of dark which is faster than light and I'm like why would that be except somebody needs to go back on their Prozac <laughs> just like they're just, I don't know I just they just seem to be like an emotional attack and a through point in that film this film just like you said like what is the point what are we supposed to get out of it except yay imagination well, and, and then it's not even right but it's not even he he's so fixated on his imagination he stays within the world of the never-ending story for a while my question is mm. his mom's dead dad doesn't really listen he hates school why the hell would he ever come back wouldn't he just stay in the never-ending story forever? I suppose he kind of does. Uh, maybe that they suggest that he does, but he's still just drooling in an attic, right? Um. Wow. I guess I hadn't thought about it like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess I thought. I thought through the power of reading, he was sucked into their world and lived there and was riding a luck dragon. I don't know, because at the end of the movie, he's riding a luck dragon in the middle of the city. But that's his, like, imagination, right? People aren't... It, it wasn't on the news be. that night. The yeah, yeah. Dragon I mean, I flies through. The bookseller's name was Carl Conrad Coriander. Screw this movie. What is with the names <laughs> in this, this movie? movie? No, no, and no. So, yeah, it's based on a book. And I guess the second movie is based on the second half of the book. They don't actually get all the way through the book in the first movie. Wow. Nice move. Yeah. And there is a third movie um, that's a, an, a, excuse me, an original plot. And okay. um, you don't want to know anything about that. Okay. Although Jack Black is in it. Whoa. I think it was one of, if not Jack Black's first role. He plays the um, school bully. Um, he's a jock. Wow. Well, this is like 200 pounds ago. Yeah, yeah, And he's yeah. got a buzz cut. Wow. He must have, he was in that and he's like, he probably had a horrible experience. Mm-hmm. And he's like, man, I'm never going to do that ever again. <laughs> I'm going to get a, grow my hair super long. <laughs> and I'm going to get fat. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah. Are we good? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I'm. I guess the coolest part of this was something that, you know, I always knew about, and that would be Falcor, the luck dragon, even though I think you were talking about it, like the way they designed him, he's really not all that. He's basically like, no, he's, he's, he's. 90% 90% of a dragon off of a Chinese menu, and then yep. they started to, like, design the face and kind of gave up halfway through. So he's kind of got a dog face, but it's mostly just, like, a, a dude's face. Yep. He's just got, like, a man, a man dog face. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I would say that was the most creative, like, this movie ever really got. Because, like, a young empress, okay, whatever, and then, like, a kid who's going on the hero's journey... The Empress is five years older than me. Wow. So, you okay. know, she's she's looking like a young Fiona Apple here in yep. the uh, movie, but she was like 18 or something like when they made the movie. Are you freaking kidding Maybe me? Maybe not 18, but I'm trying to think of when it, how old I was when it came out. She was probably the oldest person there. Older than that little kid in red face. Uh, yeah, that's another problem I had with the movie. Atreyu wow. shows up and I'm just like, is that, is that? And I didn't 
want to quite say it out loud. Is that kid in red face? But then you said it for me. He and... may be Hispanic. I don't know, but he's not. But... He's not Plains Indian. No, no, and yeah. So yeah, and then like there, there's just other random characters and this like guy who rides a racing snail. And... Yeah, and then there's um the 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 Boz, the Bobo, the Bing Bong, the, the guy that rides the bat. Yeah, and you're like, oh, we're gonna, I'm on board. Let's follow this guy. It's gone. No, gone. It's gone. Yeah. Everybody's really sad about like losing Artex in the Swamp of Sorrows. That happens like 22 minutes in. We, we don't even know. You know, I don't even know this horse. No. Oh, ruined my childhood. Whatever. And, and like Atreyu just starts sobbing and you're just like. Wait a minute. Why aren't you sad? You, why aren't you sinking in the swamp? <sighs> yeah. Um. Well, and then like, okay. Well, there's when, more. <laughs> well, when Atreyu like runs into the rock monster later and he's like super depressed and he's like, I'm just going to let the nothing consume me. Atreyu doesn't even try to talk him out of it. He's not like, come on, you can help me with your big strong hands or like, yeah, don't give of, up. A lot of fatality, not like Mortal Kombat, but a lot of uh, being fatal in this. Yes, and just depressing. And then there's the wolf, the, the dark wolf or whatever, and he's like, yeah. So menacing with his double fangs. Yeah, I'm out here just hiding in caves because, you know, they only built my head. And if I ever yes. if I ever lay eyes on that Atreyu guy, oh boy, I'll tell you. I'm Atreyu and I found this. Rar dead. <laughs> yes. Stab you once and you're 80%, gone. 80%, this shows you the worthlessness of aggregate sites uh, if they're going to take just anybody's review. 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, 46% on Metacritic. Whoa. And I'd say that's probably more accurate probably i think the 80 percent is people thinking back on it fondly and not actually re-watching the film that's right yep well let's uh, i'm gonna say that's oh. a pass for me oh <laughs> well you already watched it too late yeah i know yeah rotten tomatoes is totally worthless let's talk about a film that's 100 percent on rotten tomatoes whoa the film is called the ipcress file say that 10 times fast it's no it's <laughs> a 1965 espionage film a british film about spies directed by sydney j fury starring my cocaine yes and uh it's up to you to oh no no first oh wait wait we, we, uh, we first we wanted to say that the production company on this film was or on, on never any story was producers sales organization which sounds like yeah. wow i remember all those great films that they made right uh and then the production company for ipcress file is uh, what is it? Oh, rank man. film distributor. Yeah, yeah. We just kind of saw that and just kind of looked at each other like, "What are you plain That's white rapper films?" Yeah. Yes. What wow. happens in the Hipcrest file? Uh, what doesn't happen in the Hipcrest file? Um, basically, Michael Caine is a spy in England. This entire film takes place in England, uh, London, England, um, for the most part. There's like a train scene at the beginning. They're going to Nottingham. Anyways. But the train would be the stations in London. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Um, so basically we were following this guy at the very beginning and uh, there's another guy in the car with him. He's kind of. Okay. He gets on the train. Uh, he forgot his camera. The guy runs back to give the camera to him and it's not him. Wait. What happened to. Uh, did they call him? Was it Doctor Radcliffe or Professor Radcliffe? He's a scientist. I don't he's, know. He's a scientist. His name, last name is Radcliffe. He's like, you're not Radcliffe. 
And then, you know, that guy gets killed. The movie starts. And uh, Scene two. <laughs> Michael Caine. Okay, so Michael Caine is a spy. Gets up in the morning, makes coffee. Uh, he works for this guy named Major Ross. Uh, Major Ross calls him in and is like, uh, you got a, a reassignment. You're literally going to go see if I see I'm not. I'm not. And then he starts working for uh, this guy named Dolby. And um, they are trying to get this guy, Radcliffe, the scientist, uh, back. There have been a lot of disappearances of scientists. Uh, it's very suspicious. Um, they, uh, he, His body hasn't showed up yet, so they think he was just taken. Uh, but And they have a few clues as to who it is. Uh, they follow the clues. Uh, it, there's a lot of twists and turns. Who does this? Who does that? People stabbing each other in the back. Uh, double agents. Um, and uh, brainwashing. And a lot of just 60s spy stuff. Uh, yes. And so basically Michael Caine starts following well, the Well, I think you did it, right? You got to the end. Okay. Yeah. Gonna, so back to scene two. <laughs> okay. All right. So it's, yeah. An alarm clock goes on. Yeah, all right. Does it signify danger? Does it signify alarm in the life of this man with a boring spy life? Well, he seems pretty nonplexed by it. Right. <laughs> but that's that's the quality. I, I see what you're saying. Of yeah. Harry Palmer. Yeah. This is real. <laughs> this is real. You, you think it's a boring name for a spy? Do you think they did it on purpose? Somebody, somebody message us and tell her what Harry Palmer means anyway. Oh, I don't know what it means. What does it mean? <laughs> let's, well, let's triple down on it then. Yeah, this is, uh, this came out in 65. Dr. No uh, came out in 62. Dr. No is? Uh, James Bond. The first James Bond movie. Yeah, okay. So this was conceived, 60s spy stuff. You got the Avengers, mm. the man from Uncle. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Uh, this is like really like the heyday of the uh, spy fiction um, trope, and this was kind of conceived as a downbeat alternative to James Bond, which is of course gadgets, bombast, boobast, uh, kind of silly, boobinass. Yeah, and this was produced by Harry Saltzman, who was the co-producer of the Bond films, oh. along with the Broccoli's. Uh, uh, the Broccoli's, Albert Broccoli. Only one broccoli back then. Oh, okay. Um, up until, I think, Man with a Golden Gun. Okay. Uh, and then they had a falling out, and he sold his, um, he owned half of Bond. He sold it to, wow. to, to UA. Okay. So that's why UA was, uh, and then MGM, when they bought them, uh, was the co-producer of the films for sure. so long. Um, so I don't know if he was like trying to start like a side business, a little side hustle. I wouldn't be surprised. But it was, I think it was in a lot of ways conceived as being an alternative to that. You mm. know, if, if one guy is going to be parachuting off a mountain, this guy's going to be in a British phone box. Doing the most boring Just stuff. calling somebody. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm. And uh, it is. <laughs> it works. Um, and it was also, uh, the music was composed by John Barry, uh, the composer of uh, Goldfinger and many, many of the uh, sure. 60s Bond films. So every, all the pieces are in place here mm-hmm. for a British spy film yes. that is deliberately paced. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I got to say, is. okay, I got to say, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, have a car that turns into a sub, but the movie has a ton of character mm-hmm. and it carries you through what's going on. Mm-hmm. And my only complaint would be that it, 
it isn't because I think that the movie gets hijacked. The first two, uh, Michael Caine was in a lot of um, 60s and 70s British crime films as well. Yeah, sure. Like um, Get Carter and that sort of thing. Um, he's always playing a guy named Harry. And it those are very much like, whereas American crime films have to have somebody's getting shot in the forehead or they're getting their legs broken by a baseball bat. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of guys in like trench coats like threatening each other. Sure. Uh, in British crime films. Um, you've seen uh, Performance. Yes. Like Performance is like, Twelve percent of a British crime film, but then it's also yes. just Mick Lots Jagger's of stuff wang. Going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, that's so that's kind of like where Michael Caine is in this, and it feels like that to me. The first two thirds, the last third of the movie becomes like an in like Flint, Austin Powers movie, and I think that's where it falls down because <laughs> okay. we set all these things up before. Like you know, you've got Harry Harry Palmer. <laughs> You're gonna get it someday. Uh, Harry Palmer likes the ladies. He likes the birds. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you yep. think like, well, if this is a script, then that's going to be his problem. That's going to get him in trouble in the end. It doesn't. I thought it would. Yeah, not really. Yeah. Like, I thought like uh, Jean or Courtney or whatever her name was. Like, I think it's Jean Courtney. I think it is Jean Courtney. <laughs> yeah. And like, I thought her name was Courtney and then they were calling her Jean and I got real confused. No, it's just Jean Courtney. Yeah. Um. But he accuses her of working for Ross and she like kind of like plays back and forth with him like, oh, and then he just like kind of gives up on it. And then you find out later she is working for Ross. And then you. What's up? What's up? What's up? People might want to watch this film that is 100 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. All right. Uh, It's rarefied air. Mm -hmm. It's a perfect film, according to Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. yeah. So we don't want to ruin the twists and the turns. That's the best part. Okay. I'm just saying there's not there's no rocket sleds in this. No, no. And if you were broccoli and you're like, oh, what are you working on there? Salts? What's going on? And you watch the upcrest file and you're like, I think we're okay. (laughs) We're going to the moon in this next one. Yeah. You know, you're probably totally happy making that. But I bet there's a lot of people that are like, "Eh, I like this. There, There were two sequels to this. Was there really? Yeah. Wow. It was it was successful. Yeah, no, I can believe it. Um, although you could have like had a dog farting, you know, in a trench coat, and it would have been successful in the '60s if it was a spy thing. Wow. Although that's not true of Casino Royale, unfortunately. <laughs> and it also reminds me of the work of Jean Le Carré, mm-hmm. who. Ooh, I'm afraid to look. He's still alive, right? I don't know. I don't think he's really producing anymore, but he produced for so long. And his books like, um, you know, Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy, and The Spy yeah. Came In From The Cold, and all yep. his books about the circle, um, just a g- bunch of guys dourly drinking tea, you know, kind of glowering at each other. It's, it's that mm-hmm. kind of spy yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what this is. And luckily, I love that. So I was happy as a, as a pig and shit uh, mm-hmm. watching this. Mm-hmm. Although I do think that it got a little, I almost think it got too wacky at the end, you know? Come on, let's keep these lips stiff. Wow. We got to keep these upper lifts. Yeah. I, I love the, um, and we weren't running anything, but the showdown at the end is just a bunch of guys all just being like, nah, that ain't it. <laughs> and then the other guy's like, yeah, come on. The guy's like, oh, screw you. <laughs> just like, you compare that to like the end of Reservoir Dogs or something yeah, like that. Right, right. It's like, what is everybody on meth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, this is, um, this was so well shot that it was probably too well shot. I was getting a little angry at how oh, uh, you were? how well this was shot. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Because, you know, if it's really good, you don't really, like, think about it, right? Yeah, I hear you. So, uh, but it was just, it's just so good that you're just, man, that's a great shot. Or, like, they're using, there's Dutch angles in it, but this is when 
before Dutch angles were worn out. Mm-hmm. So there's the, 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 the cameras and the, uh, the shots are, um, you know, they are um, magnifying the, the, the sense of paranoia or, or the, the sense of distancing or alienation, you know, and you're getting all these neat keyhole shots, you know, where you don't know how yeah. to set it up. They'll close a door and there's little holes in the screen, but the character actors faces and are all in their marks. And so they're sort of like isolated in this field. And she's like, oh, stop being so good. <laughs> Uh, Sidney Fury is a great director. Um, he was known as one of the three uh, Sydneys: uh, okay. Sydney, Sydney Lumet, uh, Sydney Pollock, okay, and uh, Sydney Sydney Fury. Okay. All operated around this time. Um, I just watched a great Sydney Pollock film. I'll be talking about on backtracking called "They Shoot Horses, Don't They." Oh, okay. What's that about? I don't know. I almost did it for this show, but too late now. Oh, wow. It's been done. Wow. I'll tell you what it's about. Okay. It's about a uh, dance marathon. What? You know dance marathons? Uh, sure, but that doesn't sound... I wouldn't have guessed that at all with the title. At all. Maybe you should watch it. Yeah, maybe. Um, God, I don't know what else to say, except this is just a really great movie. <laughs> And uh, you should go watch it. Um, what do you have to say? Um, it was definitely deliberately paced, and maybe a little bit too deliberate for me at times because there were there were there were times where I was watching it and I was like, "Wow, I really wish something would happen," and then like <laughs> something would happen. And but but it was you like... didn't like the fact that when they go and they get Palmer and they're like, "Hi, right, Palmer, you're getting a." You know, it's not really a promotion, but you're you're going to get moved to this other department. Yeah, and they take him to this building, and it's like a, a well, you know, that was fun, a very unassuming building, mm-hmm. and they take him in, and every they own the whole building. Right, right, right. You learn that over the course of the introduction, and every there's offices in all the different parts of the building, like it's a normal building. Yeah, but it's like first he walks into an employment office, and that's where he is. Getting his job. That's where they're, you know, yes. onboarding him. And then, then they walk to the next floor and it's like a fireworks company. And that's like the armory where all the guns are. Right. And then they go to like TV and uh, editing cutting room service or whatever. And that's like where the, where they the show films and the briefings is. are. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's, that's, that's good. No, I liked that. I How did Austin Powers cool. miss that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I, I thought that was good. Um, and, and I feel like the movie did surprise me. Like, I would think it would, like, you know, be going one way and then it would kind of, like, go in a different direction. Yeah. So um, I thought that was good because, you know, you know, sometimes movies like this and, and, you know, maybe this is before movies like this were predictable because this is, like, the beginning of movies like this. Yeah, but plots still were internally consistent and wrapped up. Like yeah. we apparently the proto proton scattering device is a total MacGuffin because that never comes into play. Well, that's the whole, the movie begins with them stealing this device and you think, Oh, we got to get this back. I and thought, spoiler alert, but that thing's gone. I thought that was code for Radcliffe the entire time. And he starts to, his doing his talk about it. Right. But it is a thing like it is. This uh, is all okay. Cold War. You know, this is yeah. us and them. And um, the book, the book actually has uh, deals with like weapons of mass destruction and stuff like that. Oh, this it was, does. He's really pared down for the film, maybe for budgetary concerns. And like he, at one point, you know, he's getting in trouble with the CIA and you think that's going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. And apparently it's, you know, it doesn't, it's not really a thing. No, it's not. But I'll tell you one thing. What? Remember, when you, when you get a call 
about Jock being killed. Hold the phone like this. That way, see, the, the audience, they can see you're reacting to... <laughs> to, to, to you know, you're doing your Michael Caine. You don't remember that he did the... Right, it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. He, I know he was in Austin Powers. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's not what it is. What? what? Don't worry about it. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. But I thought the... Um, yeah, the third act was the most... Oh, yeah. yeah. This part. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, it was, it was the most out it's there. It's cool. One thing I really like about th- those kind of stories, though, is that nobody ever really... what you are You are touched by this world and you are you know, marked indelibly. Like your mm. world, there, there is no, <laughs> you should read this by the came in from the cold. That is a great book. And I guess I can't say any more, but, okay. but there isn't any coming in from the cold. You know, you will, you sure. are marked by this forever because once you leave the world, of, oh, I did like um, the scene where he meets with um, Ross and they're in the shopping mark, market. Yeah, that was good. And they're, that was good. And they're, it's, and they're just meeting in the open like spies would. But yeah. they're going like the wrong way, like down this aisle. Mm. And they keep running into things and crashing into and other people. carts. Yeah. And it's like, the, it's like the Sister Christian um, scene from uh, Boogie Nights. You know, it's like the kids throwing that. the fire, the M80s. And it's like it keeps creating this tension in this scene that, well, there's a little more tension, I guess, in the implied danger in the boogie nights thing but it's just a conversation but yet it's ratcheting up this tension because you yeah. you know that we're not at the point it's not the pot's not boiling over yet but it's sort of getting there and then these crashes keep happening but just old ladies with their with shopping trolleys so i thought that was really great yeah but like in this world once you leave the world of shopping trolleys and uh paying your taxes and uh ids and stuff and you're sort of like we saw this in um condor too once you're like you know in the um, uh, the halls the behind network. the stores in the mall, yeah. uh, you know, uh, there's no there is no going back to the mall after that. Like mm. you, because there's no real record of you. Like they keep the records, yeah. So you are right. who they say you are. And That's if you true. are framed for killing, say, a CIA agent, mm-hmm. it, you could bring all the evidence in and kill the bad guys, and it still wouldn't matter. Like you, you know, they they make your future for you after yep. that. Right, right, right. So. That's kind of what Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is about, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, watch it. it or good. watch Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Or watch the, was it uh, Richard Burton? I can't remember who was in uh, uh, the spy that came in from the cold, but that's good, too. Okay, I haven't seen that. Well, put on a list. <laughs> that's what this whole gosh darn thing's for. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No Benedict Cumberbatch, though. Uh, no. If you watch <laughs> Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy... There will be Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm, I'm through watching Benedict Cumberbatch. I don't know what was going on, but I was cruising around YouTube the other day, Uh-oh. and um, I, I, I got, uh, I can't remember penguins? how. No. <laughs> he should have said flying pigs, and that'll make a, uh, sense in a second. For, I got comfortably numb on my mind for some reason. So one thing I did was I listened to the 1993 cover by the Scissor Sisters of Comfortably Numb, Don't Bother, and I haven't really found their voice just yet. But they shouldn't have been covering Pink Floyd. And then I saw a live performance of Comfortably Numb where Benedict Cumberbatch took the vocals. And I'm like, why is this happening? This should not be a thing. You're not Roger Waters. Stop that. Mm. It was dumb. Okay. I won't watch it then. When you're famous, you think you can do anything. Sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No one can stop you. No. There is no pain. 
No. You are receding. Yeah. Whoa. A distant uh, ship smoke on the horizon. <laughs> Is that it? Uh, I think that's it. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Thankfully, that's it. Uh, that's it for us. We'll be back sometime soon. Uh, as soon as we can watch some more movies for this little show, you can contact us on social media, Just Enough Trope, uh, Facebook, Twitter, all that great stuff. Um, we'll say goodnight, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. And we'll be back for more cool videos later. Mm-hmm.